Howdy. 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 Uh, Yeah, no doubt about it. Praise the living God. Hey, I I did want to, I was wondering what's happened because I saw uh, Cindy Brantley bring an armful of these up to the front. And Billy had told her to do that, and I, I wasn't sure if that was a positive thing or, but I'm praying that it's a prophetic message. I'm praying because, you know, God is doing something. He's doing something powerful. All you have to do is look at what's happening across the, the globe in different countries and even in Bryan College Station. And I, I would tell you that I, I've been praying, and many of us have been praying for years, many in this room have been praying that God would move and that from this place that we are in today, that God would touch every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every people group. And I believe that he is and will do that. He is calling you today to not bring you into his life, but to, uh, not, not to bring him into your life, but for him to bring you into his life. What he is doing today. So we're going to go through James chapter 2, 14 through 26, the end of the chapter. This is in the line of what we've been teaching in James uh, for the last three or four weeks. We had a great kind of break from that last week, which really fits in. If you heard what they call Papa Joe talk about, one of his main scriptures was in Ephesians where it mentioned comfort 10 times, comforting each other comforting one another, comforting the body of Christ and how we are here, even in hard times, we are here to comfort each other. And so really living as the body of Christ, we're going to continue that today as we look through James. And so just turn to chapter two, verses 14 through um, 26. So to start out, I just wanted to remind us a few things since we kind of had a week break here. You know, if you look at uh, first of all, James. I, I'd like to just always read the first verse of James before I read the next section. So I'm going to read that for you, the first verse in the first chapter. And it says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that just few words are more powerful than you can ever imagine. First of all, James is the half-brother of Jesus Christ who did not believe in him, actually wanted to take him away because they thought he was crazy. But then he had a revelation of Jesus Christ and he turned his life and he ended up becoming the head of the church in Jerusalem. And he also says two things, a bondservant. I think that's important for the rest of the chapter because what is a bondservant? That means I had the ability to go away, but I decided I'm going to stay here and I'm going to put myself under this master And I'm going to live with him the rest of my life. And now I have no rights to myself. That's a hard thing in America. We want to have our own rights all the time, don't we? I mean, if we don't, we're just up in arms. And so God, when he came, James is saying, I have given myself unto Jesus. I am not living for myself any longer. I am living for him. And the last part, which we kind of gloss over, and this is a, a common bond servant, bond slave, where I have given him ownership over me and I have no rights to myself. I'm going to serve him the rest of my life. But then he puts Jesus and God on the same planes. I don't want to go past that because many people ask, well, did Jesus really say he was God? Yes. And James says it right here. He says, servant of God and of Lord Jesus Christ. He puts them together. So Jesus is God. Just wanted to remind us of that. 
There's some other common phrases that we see a lot of time as we go through James that we just kind of throw out there. And I want to be careful when we do that. We need to read the entire book and not just read a chapter. Because there's one particular verse we're going to hone in on, which talks about how we are justified by works. And people will grab a hold of that and go down a road that you got to look at it in the entire context of what's written. So we'll talk about that. But some other things that I think are really faith produces steadfastness. Chapter 1, we're going to go up to chapter 2. I won't continue, but there's other sayings too. God cannot be tempted, and he does not tempt us with evil. Every good and perfect gift comes from God, from above. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Even the demons believe and shudder. I've heard that over and over again throughout my Christian life. And faith apart from works is dead. We're going to hone in on today, living faith versus, versus dead faith today. So let's talk about that. So let's read the chapter first, and then we'll go through bit by bit and kind of unpack it. So let's start off in chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 14. What use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister, so he is writing this to you. He may not have known that, but you're the brother and sister. It's to the churches uh, that, that were dispersed, the Jewish believers, but this is broader to you. Otherwise, God wouldn't have put this in the Bible. This is for you personally. If a brother and sister is without clothing or is in need of daily food, and one uh, says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled. Yet you do not give them what is necessary for the body. What use is that? In the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may, do, uh, may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe in God. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to acknowledge your foolish, you, you foolish people that faith without works is useless? Was our father Abraham not justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see the faith was working with his works as a result of his works. Faith was perfected and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he called was as he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. In the same way, was Rahab the prostitute not justified by works also when she received the messenger, messengers and sent them out another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. I want to give you just a little bit of kind of background on what I believe. You know, Jesus or what or kind of my background in my life. So just kind of imagine I, I grew up in 
Probably not much different than many of you, but I, I did have a family that did go to church up until when I was 14 because they felt like it was their duty to get me confirmed in the church. And so we kind of went on a regular basis and they were involved. But when I turned 14, we stopped going to church except for uh, Easter and Christmas. And we stopped, uh, basically just, I stopped really following the Lord in any way. In fact, I would tell you at that point, I was not a Christian. Even though if you asked me, I would have said, I'm a Christian, I believe. That word believe in, in our kind of world really doesn't have a whole lot of uh, meaning, does it? If you think about believe, okay, I could say, well, I believe in, um, in uh, George Washington. Well, I, I believe in him. I'm not going to put my faith or trust in him. I believe uh, a lot of, uh, a good example is when they put a, in evangelism, they talk about they pulled a chair there and you say, well, you believe in the chair. Well, that's great. But it's not until you sit in the chair that you end up really truly showing that you believe in it, that it's going to hold you up and it's going to keep you going. So belief is just an intellectual exercise in many, many instances. And I would tell you, oh, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I had no idea what Jesus had done for me on the cross. I remember I was 20 years old and we had a group called the God Squad in our residence hall. We probably, we call them other things, but I'm going to call them the God Squad today. I think actually it's a positive thing now that where I'm in. And I remember this guy named Daryl Black, Daryl, and he was pretty nervous, but he came into my room and he shared, shared with me a, a gospel presentation, basically the four spiritual laws. And I told him, you know, I believed in God and I told him he was arrogant. He was proud. Why, why would you think that you're any different than me? That's at the age of 20. I was arrogant. It was not him. It was me. I was arrogant. I was proud. I thought I have this all together. I have a belief in God, this kind of, this, this word that means nothing. And, uh, you know, I probably went to church on Easter and Christmas still because my parents actually still went. I went home and did that. It wasn't until I was 27 years old, seven years later, that God put another God squad around me. And one of those was my, my, um, my roommate. So I, I, first time, and this guy was different. Just like uh, Daryl Black, he was different. I thought he was a weird different. Now I probably am the weird different. So here he is. He, this, this roommate is you know, weird because he's reading his Bible. He's watching Christian TV and he's listening to Christian music and he actually acts like he believes what he's, what he's telling me. I hadn't seen that a whole lot. Now the God Squad back then was doing that. They were, they were very sincere Christians. But uh, then also at that same time, I started noticing this community that was all around him and, and ended up being around me without me really wanting it at that time. And I remember sitting there, you know, and he, he actually, he did something that we tell people never do. He, he started reading me the Bible. He said, Dan, you're going to hell. Just know that. <laughs> you know, mate, but that actually kind of got my attention. I thought, I'm a good person. My good outweighs my bad. There's, you know, I, I'm, you know, what if, you know, again, this arrogant thought. But I, he read to me out of the Bible, and I thought, I need to pay attention to this. And I started paying attention to what he was watching on Christian radio. And there's a guy named Ben Kinchlow. You may not know him, 700 Club. Okay, so I actually prayed the prayer of faith. So when I go through here, I don't want to belittle coming down and praying a prayer of salvation. 
But the problem is, is a lot of times we just send them off and say, go, you know, Jesus will work it out. They, it, the only reason it was different this time is because I was not only praying that prayer, I was now in a community of believers that brought me in purposely, loved me, and lived with me. It was a total different world. You have to do that as you're walking down. So I don't want to belittle people making a, a profession of faith. That's not what I'm doing here today. I'm, I'm talking about that is not the end. That is the beginning of your life. All right. So as you look at James or 14, and so I gave my life to the Lord and I fell just head over heels. I don't know whatever term I can use, but in love with Jesus. And I ended up becoming a weird guy because I listened to Christian music Why I was writing my, the my dissertation. And I'm there with headphones listening. All, and I'm just, man, it's just like, I love, oh my goodness. I just fell in love. And I continue to pray that that first love would come back because I'm going to be honest, it, it can, the world can, can help distract you and wants to distract you from that. But that first love that I had for, for him, and I just was so, and I wanted to then live for him. So what I learned in that, it's more than just a belief. I think the question you ask somebody instead, are you living for him or have you received him into your life? It's a whole different thing than just having a mental belief in who he is. Well, James chapter 2, 14, it says, what use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but has no works, can that faith save him? Well, I don't believe I was saved until I asked Jesus into my life and I started living for him. And I will tell you, just like um, oh, John Newton said, I'm not who I was, I'm not who I want to be, but I am different today than I was when I was 27 years old and I prayed that prayer with Ben Kinslow in the 700 Club. So changes every minute. The Bible says that when you become a Christian, you become a new creation. Old things are passed away. Old things. And I, you know, when I became a Christian over and over again, there were some old things. When you become a Christian at 27 years old, there's a lot of junk in your life. Okay. And there's still, you know, I still allow a little junk in my life and I have to ask God, please help me with that. Get that out. Okay. And so uh, it almost is a constant prayer, Lord. And I have to tell myself, Dan, you are a new creation. Holy Spirit, come. I need your help. I cannot do this on my own. I need you. And he says he will do it. He will make you a new creation. And that new creation looks more like Jesus every single day. And that's what the goal is of your life. You want to ask, well, what's the goal of my life? Your goal is to look more like Jesus every single day. And so that's what that faith looks like as you're going forward is that works. Now, we, you know, we have another bad connotation of works. You know, we think work is hard, and yet a lot of people may not, in this room, may not say a whole lot of good things about their work. He's not talking about drudgery. I, I was just talking with somebody during the greeting, and so thank you, for Chris, Chris for doing that, because uh, this, this, this guy, his, his name is Dan. He went to a nursing home uh, this morning, and he told me that he was there just sitting next to a guy that was pretty much going to sleep while he was talking at this nursing home. But he was reading the Bible to him. And what I saw is, and, and this is not work for Dan. I saw tears in his eyes, a joy in his heart. 
It's not a drudgery. This is when you are entering and you're living in the life that Jesus has for you. It is not drudgery. It's not that kind of work. If a brother or sister is without clothing and is need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for the body, what is that? In the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead by itself. So he's actually referring to something that, you know, Jesus referred to many times. You know, I don't know if you remember in Matthew after he talked about, um, you know, actually in back when he was talking about that he was going to be crucified and all, he did talk about the judgment and he talked about the two groups of people that would come at judgment day. And one set of, uh, went to his right, the other set, set went to the, to the left, he called the ones on the right sheep and they called the other ones goats. Don't know if that's good or bad. But as you look at what he said, he said, come into my heaven. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in need, you met that need. When I was in prison, you came to see me. When I was an orphan, you took me in. He said, come into my heaven. They said, when did we do that? And he said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. That's one of my life verses. Because I know when I'm ministering to somebody, I'm not just ministering to that person. I'm ministering to God himself. Isn't that powerful? As you look at that, and I encourage you, there's nothing just like that, that Dan expressed. He is ministering to God, not just to that person that he's reading the Bible to. So words are useless is what it's really saying. And he's talking about brothers and sisters. How many of you are all involved in a life group? Whoop, I like that. So, hey, we're supposed to live this out. This is one reason that Antioch has life groups is so we can live life together. We're not just saying that's what, live life together, life groups. Okay, that's an easy one. So, hey, if you look at it, we're living life together. And I encourage life groups to be that, but I, you need to be part of a life group. If you're a member of this church, then you need to be part because that's where you're going to really find life is in that group. And that's where you're going to have people minister to you. It gives you the privilege of other people ministering to you, just like it gives you the privilege to minister to them. So I encourage you to be part of that. All right, so let's move on to James 2.18. But someone may well say, you have faith. And I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. So you probably didn't ever thought of this, but there's no atheist demons out there. Right? They, they know that God is real, but they, they, don't have a, a, they don't have the opportunity to enter into a relationship like you do if you accept him as your Lord and you decide you're going to live for him. And so as you go down that road, you may say something. You know, there, there are a lot of people who say, oh, I believe. That's why I'd say, have you received Jesus instead of do you believe? Because you know, Americans, if you're an American, you may, quite often you're going to say, oh yeah, I believe. A lot of times they tell you that just to get you away from them. Okay, so ask, have you are you living for him every day? And, you know, he's talking here in that so important as you look at it. 
that it's more than just words, that we have to live it out on a daily basis. And so how, how do we do that? Well, I have something I actually talked with a men's retreat, and I want to just share it here. And so when we look at our lives, number one, I, I used to, this is the transformational moment in my Christian life, is I used to think it was church, family, kids, because at that time I had four kids and a, and a wife and one beautiful wife who's up here with me today supporting me. Praise God for her. And, I, you know, and then I was involved in the church and I had work and I had, employ, you know, I had all these people. And so I had that order, you know, and I'm going to church. I'm doing great. Sunday I'm in church now. So I'm, I'm, I'm one step up from just being a guy who says he believes. No, what, what I learned is that this is the transformational moment in my life is it's not that order. God is first in that order, there's no doubt. But it is God first in every single relationship that I have. It's God first as a husband. It's God first as a, as a father. It's God first in this church. It's God first in my life group. What does that look like? Well, if it's my children, I am supposed to live in a way as to where my children will know who Jesus is, that they will come into their own saving faith of who Jesus is. And so I need to live and purposefully live a life in that flow. How about a husband? Well, I need to die for her. You know, the, Jesus says, die, you know, uh, love the, your wife as Christ loved the church. Well, he died for them. I need to die for her on a daily basis. Yes. Those are, it's God first. And how about if you're a student? We got students here, right? What is... God first as a student look like? Well, you, you ought to be a good student. I, I'm a professor, okay? You came here to be a student, and God says, do all things as if you're doing unto Christ Jesus. So, you know, treat your teachers like you're working for Christ, right? Second is, is that, hey, you have so many spheres of influences as a college student that I could never get to as a professor, Okay, so you have, you can bring Jesus into those situations when I could never do that. So think about it. as you live your life, I am living as an ambassador of Jesus Christ and I'm going into that situation. I'm living for him in every role of my life. So I encourage you to sit down and think through that as you go. Okay, 20 through 23, but are you willing to acknowledge you foolish person? Okay, that faith without works is useless. Was our father Abraham not justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Right now, if you're a Christian, you are a friend of God. You're a child of God. You're not only a bondservant, but you are in his family. Isn't that wonderful if you're living for him? So Abraham, this is where, Bill, going back to Billy's message, where he talked about obedience. So he, in, in um, Genesis 15, he brings Abraham out to look up into the heavens and he says, as many stars as you see, this is how many offspring you will have. And he didn't have a child at all. He was 80, 100 years old, and Sarah was 80. And so 
That's why she laughed, okay? So as you go through that, she, he ended up having finally a son by his flesh, Isaac. And then God told him to offer up Isaac. And he did offer him up. He did not sacrifice him, but he was willing to do that. He believed, if you go to Hebrews 11, he believed that God was going to resurrect him from the dead. And so in that whole process, he showed he had faith. And it said in that, he believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness going back well before Isaac was ever born. And then he affected that. And you see how his faith was now perfected. As he saw the faithfulness of God, as he was obedient, the faithfulness of God. All right, then also they come in and they talk about, and I, I really love talking about this one because this is a person that's a lot different. And this person is um, Rahab. And Rahab comes and says, and this is in Joshua 2. If you look at what she did, she, um, they sent out the spies to go spy the land. That, this is the second set of spies. There are two spies that are going out to spy the land. They're about to go into the promised land. They're about to, Joshua's about to lead them into the promised land to take the promised land and walk around Jericho, remember, and the walls fall. And he, they go to the city of Jericho. But there's some people that see that and they... Uh, from, from the king of Jericho, and they come and they say, hey, you know what? There's some people here, and they went to Rahab's home. Rahab, who is a prostitute, who is a Gentile. So Abraham is a, you know, in the line of the Jews. He wasn't a Jew back then, but he was in the line of the Jewish faith. And here we have now a Jewish, or excuse me, a Gentile prostitute that confessed and professed Belief in the God of the Israelites. They had heard all the things that this God had done, and she said, I believe in this God. And she said that, and she said, because of that, I'm going to hide you. And they took him up on the top of the roof, and she hid them and sent the others the other way. So here we have the act of faith. She believed something. She acted on that, and it was credited to her as righteousness. Obedience follows faith. All right. Last one I wanted to mention in that group is the woman with the alabaster jar because it's a New Testament example. And so here, as we look at that, that woman, she is, Jesus had just told them, I am going to be crucified. I am going to be hung on a cross. They didn't comprehend it, but I think she did. She went into where they were having dinner at Simon the leper's home. And she went into where only men are in that place. There may have been some women around the outside, but only men. And she went to his, him and she anointed him with the most expensive thing she owned. There's no doubt about it. Probably something that may have come out of Egypt 400 years, they say, earlier. The alabaster jar. And Jesus said, she is doing this in preparation for my, my death. And when the gospel is presented, her act will also be presented. Do you see her obedience? She, there's no doubt, she wholeheartedly believed in Jesus Christ and who Jesus was. And she knew what he said was true. And so she did what she did. She gave everything. She gave the most valuable thing in her life 
and she gave it to Jesus and she used it to anoint his body. So in our lives, are we giving him everything in our lives? Have we said, yes, Lord, I'm going to give you everything I have. Are you living for him? All right. So I want to talk to to the different groups that are in in here today, because there's there's one group that said, I went down and I prayed. If you went down and prayed and you're just living like you're living. okay, you need to come down. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask the band to come up and pray with us today. If that's what you did and you just, I I prayed the prayer of faith, but man, I'm living like I always lived and I haven't changed anything. Okay, you need to come down this morning. Okay, second is there's some people that say, you know, like me, I had my first love and I continue to pray for that first love, but that first love has kind of waned away. Okay, and you say, I want to rekindle that. I just want to make a commitment. I want to put a stake in the ground today and say today I am going to live for him regardless of how I feel. I'm going to live for him. There may be someone here, I just want to speak to this, that you are hyper um, critical of yourself and what you're doing. This is not uh, encouraging to come down and do more works. This is coming down to live for Jesus. Because many of you, when I'm saying all this, you're thinking, what does this mean? I'm doing all this stuff that I have to, no, you're not striving to do works. That is legalism. That is the Pharisees. You are striving to live a life filled with Jesus. You're looking at every role in your life and asking Jesus, how do you want me to live out that role? That's a purposeful thing. Then also, the other part of that is, is as you go, it's amazing how many times in the Bible they talk about as they were going, this happened. And they joined into what God was already doing. And saw great things. Just look at the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. He's on the road and all of a sudden he sees this guy reading the scroll from Isaiah. And he says, anybody here can explain this to me? Well, Philip's right there. Join in. As they're going, as they're going to the temple, this lame man, rise up and walk. As you're going throughout your life, don't go just thinking, I got to get this job done. Right now, quite often in my life, I have things come against me in my job or things at me may be a better word rather than against. And I sit there and I think, okay, God, what do you want me to do with this? That's, are you asking him first? Are you asking him for the wisdom that goes beyond uh, understanding? You want his wisdom, not the world's wisdom. You want his wisdom. And And of course it said that in James one, he's generous to give that to you. So if, I, I don't want you to come back and start beating your, oh, I got to do more. No, that's, that's going and working after works. You're going after work. You want to go after what Jesus is calling you to do. Okay, and so who's going to help you do that? The great comforter, who's that? The Holy Spirit is the one that is going to lead you into that. Seek the Holy Spirit in whatever you do, and he'll tell you what to do. I believe that. He's done that in my life over and over and over again. And so that's the other, the third one. So those that, you know, have this, what I call easy believism, where they have said, oh, I believe, but you never have said, yes, I'm going to receive you, Jesus, and live your life for Jesus. Okay, those that have maybe been cooled in what they, 
what they at first love and, and want to rekindle that and say, today's the day. And those that want to be, be refilled with the Holy Spirit to really say, God, I need your spirit to help me live this life. I've got some things going on and I can only do it by the grace of the living God. Come forward for that. So as the band plays, if the life group leaders would come on up and I encourage you to seek out him and encourage you to come down today and make a statement. And when you do that, you're not just making it to God, you're also making it to yourself. And you can say, I gave my life. I tell the enemy often when he says things, no, I gave my life that day and I'm living for him and I'm a new creation every single day. Thank you and God bless you. Let me pray. Dear God, thank you for everyone from this wall to this wall, Lord, everyone in this room. I believe that you are speaking to them right now that they need to seek you in every decision that they make, that they need to live for you and that they need your Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Even now begin to do a work in the hearts of these people. And thank you, God, that you have brought them to Antioch for a reason and for a purpose, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that they are part of our family. They are part of the body of Christ in the land that you have put us in. Thank you, Lord. In the name of the living God, I pray. Amen.